This podcast contains themes that some listeners may find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. This is Anthems. Hi, I'm Asifa Lahore. I'm a drag artist known as Britain's first out Muslim drag queen, co-founder of Exotic Jewels London, a sustainable brand inspired by Bollywood and Arabic culture, and an LGBT activist working towards diversity and inclusion within the queer community and beyond. Your word of the day is reconciliation. I am British, Pakistani, South Asian, Muslim, transgender, queer, and disabled. I grew up with the notion that something wasn't right, that something was wrong with me. And many times this was reflected back to me by people's facial expressions or words. I was either exotic, effeminate, artistic, unique, or other crasser words I choose not to repeat. Let me go to the beginning. I was born in London to immigrant Pakistani parents, the middle child. With my eldest brother being autistic, I grew up with double the amount of pressures to live up to, to succeed academically, to bring honor and respect to my family name, to be a doctor or lawyer, to embody my parents' dreams of good lives for their children. This being the reason they traveled thousands of miles to an unknown land, far away from anyone or anything they ever knew. As a child, my only wish was to make my ummi smile, to see her happy, be it by performing a snake dance around the living room like Sri Devi, serenade her to songs by her favorite Pakistani singer Noor Jahan, or tell her about how well I was doing at school. And for the earliest time, I lived in this little bubble, happy and blissfully unaware. And then it happened, a loud pop that changed everything. I must have been around eight years old when another child asked me, are you a Paki? And ran away laughing. I knew deep down this was wrong. And when I asked the teachers what that word was, it was quickly made clear that what had been said was a word not used in everyday polite conversation. When I repeated this to my mother and saw her shed tears, it terrified me. In front of me was no longer the happy ummi that would clap and applaud every time I would do a show for her. Nothing was said or discussed further, but within me manifested a sense of something at odds. At the age of 11, this only intensified when I was diagnosed with a rare eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa and was told that I would lose my eyesight by my mid-twenties. Later that year, my family relocated back to Pakistan and there I fell in love with the colour and sounds on display at family celebrations. Be it from the splash of blusher on my aunt's perfectly made up face to the doll drum enchanting us to dance till the early hours. So different from my life in the UK. The desire to immerse myself in the South Asian culture was dampened by always being reminded that I was the British child, that I should behave differently. Centuries old colonial dominance subconsciously still being projected onto me. 
Upon returning to the UK, now a pubescent teen and acutely aware of my physical body, I was forced to recognise another difference. That my abundant femininity and lack of anything masculine must have meant I was gay. Something my classmates at an all-boys Church of England school felt it their responsibility to berate me with. Now I knew I was attracted to boys, but never in my mind did I feel that this meant I was gay. The strict British gender binary felt very constrictive. I must remind you of my life in Pakistan where I would see hijras, people identifying as a third gender who captivated me with their expression and beauty. Even if I did see some relatives recoil from these, in my eyes, creatures of majestic proportions, I felt an affinity towards them, something I felt I had to keep to myself. Pre-Empire, the South Asian subcontinent was rich in a panoply of gender identities and expressions. However, these were prohibited by British penal laws that criminalised an ancient form of life. The colonial creation of gender binaries that was presented to me as a teenager by a choir of homophobic abuse that was so intense that I must admit for the longest time I believed myself to be gay. With everyone being so adamant, I presumed it to be true. Again, this impacted my notion of difference. What followed were years of utter loneliness and despair. I felt I had nowhere and no one to turn to. I couldn't reach out to teachers due to Section 28, a Thatcher-era law that forbade the promotion of homosexuality in the school curriculum. And I certainly didn't want to bring these issues back home to my parents in fear of being outed. From many hours of Quran lessons, I was well aware that homosexuality was forbidden in Islam, especially if one follows the strict interpretation that I was taught to recite. And most importantly, I didn't want to see my mum cry again. All these labels felt so heavy on me that for the longest time, I wholeheartedly believed that I was the only person to experience life in this way with all these different facets within me constantly clashing. I truly felt like the only Gaijin in the village. Something that was made very clear to me the first time I ever went to a gay club. Whilst I shimmied around to dead or lives you spin me around, a handsome man felt the need to tell me, not ask, how I could be gay and Muslim. As if my name and skin colour compelled such a discussion in the middle of a heaving dance floor filled with white bodies. When I was 23, this all came to a head when my mum asked me whether I was gay after finding a stash of gay magazines underneath my mattress. It was only a split second, but I felt my whole life flash before me. All the times I had felt different. Even though I could lie and escape this situation, something in me told me to say the truth and say it in Urdu. Ami, me gehu. I simply had grown tired of hiding behind lies. And with uttering those words came my mother's tears, which always shook me to the core. What followed were trips to the GP, to the Imam, 
to me agreeing to an arranged marriage in the hope that all this would go away and I could be the model child in the eyes of my parents once again. It took to me teetering on the edge of Westminster Bridge in a flood of tears, willing it all to go away, that I realised that I could not go on this way. With the help of my university lecturer, I was able to access counselling and support groups that made me realise that I was not the only person in the world to share those labels. Be them gay, Muslim, British, South Asian, Pakistani, and live harmoniously, identifying with all these labels at once. Invigorated by this, I was able to pull out from the arranged marriage and slowly built a life that I wanted for me. Representation, or lack thereof, had a huge part to play in my story. Growing up, I never saw anyone that looked like me in the media or being successful in society. And whenever I did, they fitted neatly into only one box. I like to call it the cookie cutter model of visibility, as if life was conducted from that label vantage point. If you were gay, your life was lived based on only that. If you were disabled, that was the only thing you could be. For years, I convinced myself that it was okay. It didn't matter that all of me wasn't on screen. I could make do with just the parts. However, as I grew to come to terms with my intersectionality, I realised that by not seeing myself, or stories I understood reflected back at me, it had created a world of loneliness and compartmentalization. I had to wear a mask for my entire life, always to appease and conform and bend to the will of society, molding myself to whoever I was meeting. If they were gay, I was extra gay. If they were Muslim, I was fervently pious. I had to force myself to look and act a certain way, an armor that would only come off once I was alone in my dimly lit bedroom. Through creating my drag alter ego, I was able to explore my gender identity and expression, which led to the realization that I was a queer transgender person. Having worked through all the layers of peer pressure and abuse that had imposed the gay label on me, drag in many ways saved me. It gave me an art form through which I could explore all the facets and labels that make me as a person. To explore those labels through satire and comedy, I was able to create for myself that level of representation that I had long craved and allowed me to come to terms and see the power in my intersectionality. When I told my mother that I had received an award for my LGBT activism, working towards greater inclusion and diversity, I was once again met with tears, but this time they were happy ones. When she said, I'm so proud of you, Maya Sifa, I couldn't help but finally feel at peace with all of me. I am British, Pakistani, South Asian, Muslim, transgender, queer, disabled and happy. Reconciliation, noun, the process of making opposite beliefs, ideas or situations agree with another.
If you've been affected by the themes in this podcast, check out the episode description for information, resources and support lines.